Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I, I didn't know where you were going with that. <laughs> I'm doing really well. We are, when you're listening to this, it'll be the week before Thanksgiving, and we're all getting pumped up about food. I'm always pumped up about food, but now, like, it's, like, appropriate to be this excited about food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. I'm very excited for Thanksgiving. I said that last week, but I'm even more excited now that it's even closer. So, yes. Would you like to add things you're thankful to this week? Because we are off next week and you won't be able to say this on the show about (laughs) me specifically. Yes, Melissa. I'm so thankful for you. I love you so much. I'm so glad that you do this with me. Okay. That was the least (laughs) sincere thing I've ever heard, but I'm going to say ditto, whether you believe the sincerity or not. (laughs) That's on you. But yes, we are off next week. I think we talked about that before. We're off next week and we will be back the week after doing the same thing. Yes. Yeah. So this week we're talking about a bit of a higher profile case involving an NBA basketball star from Memphis, Tennessee. If you are from that area or even if you're just a basketball fan, you probably remember the murder of Lorenzen Wright and the difficult time that the police had when it came to solving the crime. Before we get into the details of Lorenzen's life, his basketball career, and his murder, we're going to tell you a little about where this crime took place in this week's segment of We Googled This City. Memphis is located on the Mississippi River and as of the 2018 census has a population of around 650,000 residents. Memphis was actually named after Memphis, Egypt, which that came as a complete surprise to me. Doesn't Memphis just sound Southern? Like, I did not think it came from somewhere else. Yeah. How dumb of that is that of me that I was like, no, that's definitely in the South. But it came from Memphis, Egypt, and it actually means established and beautiful. Mandy, you'll like this. A man named Hoyt B. Wooten, which is not an easy name to say, built the world's largest private bomb shelter in Memphis. And What? Yeah, I guess I, I looked for details, but it was kind of even hard to read too much about it because if you have a bomb shelter protecting you from the end of the world I don't think you want to give like a map to where people can find you at the end of the world (laughs) yeah I thought that was kind of interesting Memphis is also known for being the birthplace of rock and roll and also the home of the blues in 1977 Congress recognized Beale Street as the official home of the blues as many blues singers had performed there at some point including Louis Armstrong and B.B. King Speaking of rock and roll, Elvis Presley made Memphis his home when he bought his home that he named Graceland and where he was living until his death, possibly on the throne, in 1977. Graceland is the second most visited private home behind, what do you think? What's the most visited private home in the U.S.? I feel like this is worded tricky, by the way. I don't know. The White House. How do we call that a private home? That's. I mean, Uh, I get it, but. Yeah, I guess it is. We're using like, it's a little fast and loose on the use of <laughs> private home there. The Mandy, does the name Volney ring a bell to you? Volney. <laughs> no. <laughs> Remember the beginning of those old MGM movies with the lion that opens his mouth and roars? And uh-huh. yeah, so that is Volney. And he was a resident of the Memphis Zoo until he died in 1944. That's just a fact for you. I don't have a lot to back it up. And I could have found that on a weird site, and that might not even be true. And maybe Memphis just wanted a line. I don't know. (laughs) I'm almost done. The grocery chain Piggly Wiggly opened on September 6, 1916 in Memphis. 
Yes, friends from overseas and throughout certain parts of the U.S., there is a grocery chain called Piggly Wiggly. We don't have any down here, right, Mandy? No, I've seen no, them no. like Georgia. I feel like I have seen them in Florida, but it's the part that's like I think of as Georgia. So Piggly Wiggly was actually the nation's first self-service grocery store. Prior to this, you would give your grocery list to your grocer and they – grocer? Grocer? Grocer. They Gro- would – grocer, right? Because grocer, grocer doesn't sound like a – a job you would want. Um, and they would actually <laughs> and they would actually shop for the food for you. Why did we get rid of that? I don't understand that. I feel like Piggly Wiggly did a disservice. I don't want to shop yeah. for my food. I know. Well, I mean, now we kind of have like other things that shop for us, you know, like the Instacarts, Instacarts. of the world that do it. Yes. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. That would be it's, cool if, I don't know. It reminds me back in the day too when people used to pump your gas for you and stuff. Like, can you imagine True. Yeah. Um, and like even at my parents' house where they live now in the neighborhood gas station, and I use the term neighborhood very loosely, you can still have credit. Like they'll write your name down. Like when I was a kid, they would write my name down and like how much something was and they would just keep it as credit and you could just come back and pay it. I feel like I grew up in Mayberry. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah but it was but it just seems like a to me, a backwards thing. Like, I don't want to do my grocery shopping. Like, why did Piggly Wiggly take this away from us? I love the idea of a grocer grocer doing this for me. So speaking of Piggly Wiggly, I am not sure how to end this week's segment as per usual. Memphis actually has a ton of fun facts, so I don't want to run through all of them today. But in honor of Piggly Wiggly being one of the weirder names for a store, I thought I'd list the top three oddly named stores. This is my list of odd odd names, not like the internet. Nobody voted for this. This is just me. Um, These are names I found on the internet and actually have no connection to Memphis whatsoever, but I thought I could make jokes about them. So Mandy, number three of the weirdest names of stores, kind of like Piggly Wiggly, Bread Pit. (laughs) Isn't that great? No news if Jennifer Hammiston has a store nearby. That was good. (laughs) I want to laugh. Somebody made a joke about Angelina Jelly, and I wish I could have used that, but whatever. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I got to go old. So the next one, number two, is Frying Nemo. It's a place where you can buy fish and chips. Frying Nemo. But Frying Nemo, yikes. I just don't think that like Disney Plus is going to be sponsoring them anytime (laughs) soon. And the last one, number one, is Florist Gump. Aww. Isn't that great? I love it. I think it's so cute. It's no longer open, but when the owner shut down the store, he was quoted in my mind as saying, I think I'm pretty tired. I'll go home now. And that is all I have this week. <laughs> <laughs> They're not all winners. Most of them aren't. Okay, Mandy, let's get into the story. Okay. Lorenzen Vern Gagney Wright began his life on November 4th, 1975, when he was born in Oxford, Mississippi, to his parents, Deborah Marion and Herb Wright. From the moment he entered this world, it seemed like Lorenzen was really destined for basketball greatness. It was really in his blood. His father, Herb, had himself been a world-class basketball player, starring in Finland and becoming known for his ability to jump really, really high into the air. Uh, There was a time, actually, when he was still in high school that he achieved a 42-inch vertical leap. Oh, my gosh. Mandy, that's barely shorter than you. Uh, Right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I certainly cannot jump. Herb had a deep love for the sport, which he instilled in Lorenzen and Lorenzen's younger brother, Lou. He wasn't afraid to push his two sons towards this greatness and would often provide loving but firm critique and encouragement for them to do better and reach the top. Although Deborah and Herb weren't together for their kids' childhoods, they maintained a wonderful co-parenting relationship 
and Lorenzen was able to spend his summers with his dad in Memphis. This father and son had an incredibly close relationship, and they spent time together doing home improvement projects such as building fences or pouring concrete and working on cars, but their favorite thing to do together, of course, was to play basketball. During this time, Herb was working at a recreation center as the director, and Lorenzen spent a lot of time there practicing and developing his skills and his love of basketball. But the dynamic between them changed in the summer of 1983 when Herb was involved in a shooting that left him paralyzed and wheelchair bound. A group of young men that was at the rec center watching a basketball game started causing a ruckus and they were really being poor sports when their team was losing. And they ended up getting so angry and unruly that Herb kicked them out of the rec center, which only further irritated these men. Hours later, the men returned and fired shots at Herb, striking him in the back and severing his spinal cord before fleeing the scene. Mm. As Herb tried to get himself back on his feet, he it became clear to him that he was, in fact, paralyzed. He spent the next five days in a coma, but miraculously survived the ordeal, although he would be confined to a wheelchair with very little chance of ever being able to walk again. Of course, this was a devastating blow to, you know, this man who was once a very active and athletic father of four young children. But Herb chose not to give up in defeat and instead decided to overcome and make the most of his new life while setting an example for Lorenzen and his siblings that they could really accomplish anything no matter what their circumstances were. It was important to him that he showed his children that life is really what you make of it, and he maintained a positive attitude and outlook and dedicated his life to overcoming the odds and making something of himself in spite of his new disability. So from his wheelchair, he actually went on to coach a woman's college basketball team, and he continued to teach and coach his own two sons in the sport of basketball, and also to teach them the value of just a regular day of hard work. The Wright boys weren't allowed to simply sit around playing video games and eating snacks all summer. Herb actually had them out there doing real manual labor and trying to instill this really strong work ethic in him. And he actually once said to Lorenzen, quote, one day, if you make it to the NBA, you're going to have a bunch of free time. And this way you won't have to go out and do something crazy. You can buy an old car and fix it up all day or build something in the back of your house. That's amazing. It is amazing. It's such a great, I guess, just lesson to pass on to your kids, you know, that you you can keep yourself busy by being productive and finding things that you enjoy as hobbies. And, you know, like his dad said, not going out and doing something crazy. For sure. I mean, we've talked about this with like um, lotto winners, but like NBA stars, you hear that a lot about in sports that these people who get these huge million dollar contracts at like 18 and they go through all of it because they've never learned how to really take care of their money or how to spend the money, how to save the money. And they don't have anything else to do. So of course they're out there spending money, you know, right, it really only makes sense. So it's an amazing thing that he taught them. Although it was Herb's dream to see his son make it to the NBA one day, he knew that the road to getting there was going to be hard. And he made no secret about that to Lorenzen. He wanted him to have other skills in life and not to take the value of a hard day's work for granted, just in case his basketball dream did not pan out. But Lorenzen was determined to make a career in the NBA a reality. He knew that his father's dream had been to play for the NBA, and he was never able to achieve that goal himself, and he felt that making a career out of basketball would really top everything and make his father the most proud. The summer before Lorenzen's senior year of high school started, he decided to leave his mother's home in Mississippi to go live with his dad in Memphis. There, he really thrived in the high school basketball scene. Just as Herb had always been there for Lorenzen and had always pushed him to reach his maximum potential, this time in his life was no different. Herb and Lorenzen worked out together every day. 
Lorenzen would run miles while his father wheeled himself alongside him. I just love that picture and just Me them too. working so hard together. The determined teen worked hard and that hard work really paid off. He became a local high school basketball star at Booger T. Washington High, where he averaged 27 points and 18 rebounds, earning himself a scholarship to the University of Memphis. I was terrible at basketball, but I do remember stats, and that's pretty incredible for one person to be able to do all that. Yeah, I was hoping that you would know, um, because I definitely didn't know anything about that. I just found the fact, and I was like, well, that's what it says. I don't yeah. know anything. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so figure five people are playing on a basketball team. You some te- Sometimes you score up to 100, but like maybe say 80. So if he's making 30 points, that's a lot of points, you know, percentage-wise of the team. So it's pretty incredible. While he was still in high school, Lorenzen met Shara Robinson, the daughter of one of his coaches who was frequently in attendance at practices and games. Despite the six-year age difference, Shara was actually 23 when they met while Lorenzen was just 17. The two of them started a relationship that would continue even after Lorenzen went off to college. He played for two seasons at the University of Memphis and was named a second-team All-American before being drafted in the NBA in 1996 by the Los Angeles Clippers. At this point, Lorenzen was somewhat of a hometown hero, and everyone in Memphis was thrilled for his big break. Shortly after his second season in the NBA, Lorenzen married his girlfriend, Shara. They were young, but they were in love, and they wasted no time starting their family. Lorenzen played a total of three seasons for the Clippers before he moved on to play for the Atlanta Hawks in 1999, where he spent four seasons. During this time, he and Shara grew their family, which would eventually include seven children in total. Lorenzen was really living the dream. He was making a lot of money and finding a ton of success in his NBA career, and he had all these beautiful children, which he and Shara decided to raise in Memphis. The family had really the finer things in life, a beautiful home, nice cars, and lots of luxury possessions. But the relationship between Lorenzen and Shara began to strain due to his constant travel schedule as an NBA star. It is amazing. Like, there are games all the flipping time. Just think of, like, yeah. the Orlando Magic. Think of how many home games we have here. It's it's intense, and they have off-seasons. They're working hard. That's a lot to be based in Memphis. Your family's based in Memphis, but you're working, really, in Atlanta constantly. So they had frequent arguments over finances and infidelity issues. But in 2001, things improved slightly when the Vancouver Grizzlies relocated to Memphis and Lorenzen was traded to them from Atlanta. He was back at home and it was really just what everyone needed, not just his own family, but also the people of Memphis. The fans were ecstatic that their hometown hero and star was back where he belonged. He would remain a player for the Grizzlies for several more years, even leading the team to the playoffs three years in a row. But Lorenzen wasn't just a great basketball player. He was also a pretty incredible human being. There are numerous accounts and stories of various selfless and giving acts that Lorenzen was responsible for, and he was very well known in his local community as being very generous with his time. He really poured himself into his community, especially as it pertained to children, and there were many little boys around the Memphis area that looked up to him as a basketball player and a role model. If there was a way to get involved at a local level, Lorenzen was really going to be there for it. He volunteered and attended charitable events and maintained a very close relationship with his fans. He was the kind of guy who really would never say no to signing an autograph or taking a picture of somebody asked. And he really strived to be this same type of positive example to young boys as his father had been to him. But under the surface, things at home were still kind of rocky. Shara and Lorenzen had gotten together and had all these kids very, very young. And with Lorenzen's great basketball success came, obviously, great financial success. 
which doesn't really seem like it would be a bad thing. But this young couple really did not know how to handle having that much money, which goes back to what you were saying a little bit ago. It's like, and that's really a thing. I feel like if anyone gave me, you know, like a million dollars or millions right now, like I would not know what to do with it. And I guarantee I would spend it irresponsibly. (laughs) I appreciate the honesty and I totally understand what you're saying. It's true because all of a sudden you have these nice houses and these nice cars, but now there's upkeep and there's taxes and there's all this stuff. And yeah, you could buy all these things, but they're going to still come with a price. So then you're living above your means, even though you didn't set out to do that. You know what I mean? Like it's all these new it, I don't know, it takes money to make money sort of thing. So then you're spending right. more money and it's it's a lot. And it's, if you don't have a good grasp of it, if you don't have help really, especially starting out so young, you're, I mean, unless it's like one of those natural things for you, which it is not for me, you're going to go through it. That's just what happens. Yeah. So both Shara and Lorenzen really like to spend money and they would argue frequently over finances Then in February of 2003, tragedy struck the Wright family when Shara and Lorenzen's seventh child, a baby girl named Sierra, passed away of sudden infant death syndrome at the age of 11 months. Shara had gone to check on the baby one Saturday morning and discovered that she was not breathing, and the baby was taken to a hospital where she was unable to be revived. This loss was incredibly hard on the Wrights, and it was eventually the catalyst that led to the end of Shara and Lorenzen's marriage. The couple actually separated shortly after their daughter's death, but they would continue to reconcile and then split up again. They did this several times in the next few years to come. Following his daughter's death, Lorenzen founded the Sierra Simone Wright Scholarship Fund, and later that summer, he returned to the University of Memphis to finish his degree, but he continued to play for the Memphis Grizzlies until 2006, at which time he went back to the Atlanta Hawks and then went on to kind of just be bounced around the league for three more seasons as his career kind of started coming to an end. All in all, Lorenzen Wright played in the NBA for 13 seasons and reportedly earned over $55 million throughout his career. But by early 2010, most of the money was gone and the well was really starting to run dry. And we're going to get into a lot more details of this case after a quick break for a word from this week's sponsors. With Christmas decorations already going up, you may have forgotten another holiday that's right around the corner. No, it's not the festivus for the rest of us. I'm talking about Thanksgiving. To be honest, when I think of Thanksgiving, I think of food. Along with this wonderful, delicious food comes the hassle of leaving the house to actually brave the grocery store. And I know I'm going to forget something and not want to leave the house in the midst of Turkey Geddon. This week, I actually forgot to buy chicken which is great when you're making chicken parm. It's literally in the title. And so I decided to order chicken and a few things I had forgotten through Instacart, and I had it delivered to my house right when I was due back home from appointments and ready to start dinner. It was a miracle. With Instacart, you can order from local and national grocery stores that you would already usually shop from. Your personal shopper gathers your groceries with care, picking excellent produce just as you would, and chatting with you when it's necessary. I love Instacart, and I actually use it weekly. This Thanksgiving, I'll be hosting my family, and you better believe I'll be using Instacart. It's easy. Get the app or go to instacart.com and order the groceries you need to have a great holiday or any day. Save time this holiday season. Instead of packing everyone up in the car to fight over that extra pepper for your meat pie, let Instacart do your shopping and your fighting for you. 
Try Instacart and get $10 off and free delivery on your first order. To get this limited time offer, download the mobile app or go to instacart.com and enter our promo code MOMS10 at checkout. That's $10 off and free delivery on your first order today in the mobile app or at instacart.com and don't forget to enter our code MOMS10. Let's be honest for a second. As a busy mom, bra shopping is not a priority. Usually during a Target run, I'll spot a bra on the rack, throw it in my cart, and be on my way, only to find out that it doesn't fit me well or it falls apart after a few washes. But what if you could find your perfect fit in 60 seconds from the comfort of your own home? Third Love makes that possible. With more than 80 sizes, including their signature half cup sizes, there is something for everyone. The quiz is actually super easy to take, and I found out by taking the quiz that the bra size I've been wearing since before I had kids is not the same one I need today. Go figure. Plus, Third Love's team of expert fit stylists are dedicated to helping you find your perfect fit. They are just a text, chat, or phone call away. Unlike the bras I grab off the rack, Third Love gives customers 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. What if you don't love it? Well, Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. You heard that, right? Third Love actually donates all of their gently used and return bras to women in need, supporting charities in their local San Francisco Bay Area and across the U.S. To date, they have donated over $15 million in bras. With the holidays coming up, you'll need something lightweight and comfortable to get you from activity to activity. So whether you're lounging around listening to your favorite podcast or cooking up Thanksgiving dinner, Third Love will offer you the perfect fit and premium feel. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they are offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash murder now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash murder for 15% off today. And now back to the episode. In February of 2010, Shara and Lorenzen officially divorced, and he was ordered to pay her $26,000 a month in child support for their six children. As part of the divorce, he actually took out a $1 million life insurance policy as part of a permanent parenting plan. In the event of his death, the money would be used to the benefit of the six children. Although Lorenzen was living in a million-dollar home in Atlanta, he made frequent trips back to Memphis to see Shara and the kids. But it was clear at this point in time that he was really starting to struggle very hard financially. The luxury homes in his name were in foreclosure, and Lorenzen was often late on his child support payments, and Shara was actually bouncing checks pretty often. The financial situation for the Wrights was pretty dire at this time, but Lorenzen had a plan to play basketball overseas so that he could continue to support his kids even though his NBA career had come to an end. Sadly, Lorenzen would never be able to pursue a career overseas. On Sunday, July 18, 2010, Lorenzen traveled from Atlanta to Memphis just as he had done dozens of times before. When he arrived in town, he met up with a friend, and then he watched his son Lorenzen Jr. play a basketball game. Cher insisted that Lorenzen bring their son home to her house that night, and he dropped the boy off at around 10 p.m. Cher alleges that she was half asleep on this night, so she didn't really see or talk to Lorenzen much before he left her house. Lorenzen's plan had been to get back in touch with this friend that he had seen that night so that they could meet up again, but he never called. At first, there was really no alarm over the fact that Lorenzen hadn't contacted anyone, but two days later, Lorenzen's friend, Phil Dotson, got a phone call that would signal the alarm. He had received a call from Lorenzen's mom, and she was looking for Lorenzen and hadn't been able to get in touch with him and thought maybe this friend would have had better luck getting in touch. Although Lorenzen's mom, Deborah was concerned, his father, Herb, was optimistic that his son would turn up. 
About a year prior to this, Lorenzen had taken off and gone to Europe by himself without really telling anyone, so Herb was hopeful that his son had just decided to take a trip again and that he would resurface soon. But Deborah really had this mother's intuition that she just couldn't ignore. She decided to call the Memphis Police Department to ask for help. Lieutenant Dennis Mitchell took the call and immediately agreed that something was wrong. Keep in mind, of course, that everyone around Memphis really knows who Lorenzen Wright is, and he even had a personal relationship with some of the officers at the Memphis PD. The police were very motivated to find Lorenzen. They filed a missing persons report, and it was really all hands on deck looking for him. His mom made several TV appearances pleading for Lorenzen to call her or to let someone know that he was okay. His ex-wife, Shara, also went on TV, appearing shaken and said that the last time she had seen Lorenzen was at her home the night that he disappeared. She claimed that she had been half asleep and out of it and really didn't remember much, but said that he left her house shortly before midnight that night. Days later, when police showed up to Shara's home to search it, she actually changed her story and told the police that Lorenzen had left her home that night with two men that she did not know and that he had drugs on him. And she was alleging that he had a lot of drugs. She actually told the police that Lorenzen was going to do a $110,000 drug deal. Wow. Yeah. And this is, of course, for the type of person Lorenzen is, this is kind of like a very, this is a whole crazy thing for her to be alleging that he was doing this. You know, that's really in contrast to the kind of person that he was in the community and what he was known for. So she claimed that she had actually overheard Lorenzen talking to someone on the phone about what he was going to be doing. And she also told the police that the phone he was using was a track phone, which I guess are commonly used as burner phones. Yeah, you know, the track phones date with Dateline. The lovely ladies there talk about how track phones should be sold as like two packs because typically you're trying to get a hold of like (laughs) another hitman or something. But that's what they're using, I guess in drug deals and stuff. This is my ignorance speaking. But yeah, they do that a lot where there's not a traceable number, I guess. Yeah. So as I said before, these are some pretty serious accusations and allegations that Shara is throwing out there. And even though Lorenzen didn't seem like the kind of guy that would be involved in something like this, the police, of course, have to investigate the possibility that this was a drug-related incident. After seven and eight days with no word from Lorenzen, police still had no real leads or answers as to his whereabouts. But nine days after Lorenzen was last seen, someone actually stepped forward with a critical piece of information that had previously been, you know, unknown to the police that were working the investigation. A 911 operator with the Germantown, Tennessee dispatch told someone at her job that she had taken a strange call at 12.05 a.m. on July 19th, which was the very night that Lorenzen had gone missing. When she picked up the call, she heard gunshots followed by the voice of a very distressed man, and then more gunshots are heard. This call had never been reported to anyone until now, but it was in fact made from Lorenzen Wright's cell phone. Evidently, this phone call was not traced the way that it should have been, And they were able to pull the latitude and longitude from the call, but then they were unable to accurately place that location on a map. An attempt was made to call the number back after the line was disconnected, but after that, it was really just forgotten about. All the operator knew was that this was coming from outside of the Germantown jurisdiction, and so she never told anyone about this, and it was never looked into. This is, of course, a critical error in this investigation, and it was one that really put the detectives at a major disadvantage. As soon as the news of this 911 call came to light, a search team was deployed. 
According to Lorenzen's phone location records, the area that he made the call from was in a very remote area about 20 miles away from Memphis. And the road that they were going to be searching was actually so remote that locals even had ghost stories about it. The search team, including cadaver dogs, began searching the woods near the cell tower where Lorenzen's phone had last pinged. Tragically, on July 28, 2010, the search team found Lorenzen's severely decomposed remains in a wooded area near a golf course. He had been shot twice in the head, twice in the chest, and once in the arm. The news of Lorenzen's death was shocking and devastating to the whole city of Memphis, and especially to Lorenzen's parents and his six children. People around the community couldn't believe that their hometown hero was dead at the age of 34. But they also couldn't believe Shara Wright's allegations of drug involvement either, and suspicion quickly fell onto Shara herself. After all, she really stood to gain a lot with Lorenzen dead, specifically that $1 million life insurance policy in which she was the fiduciary. And then there was the fact that she was the last person to have seen Lorenzen before he went missing. All of this was suspicious to those looking at the case under a microscope. Shara was hesitant to speak to police early in the investigation, but police spoke with her neighbors and learned that Shara and an unknown man were seen having a fire in the fire pit one afternoon around the time of Lorenzen's disappearance. This, of course, strikes him as odd because it's the middle of the summer with temperatures soaring into the 90s and not a typical time to have a fire in the backyard. But there were other stories about Shara that seemed suspicious as well. A woman named Wendy Wilson, who was a past assistant of Lorenzen's, alleged that in 2003 she had personally listened to voicemails in which Shara was threatening Lorenzen's life if she caught him cheating on her again. Wendy felt, at this time, that Shara was capable of causing harm to Lorenzen. But Shara pushed forward despite the rumors and suspicions surrounding her and even appeared to be helping the police on their quest for answers. She told detectives that just weeks before the murder, some mysterious men in trench coats had come to her home looking for Lorenzen. She believed that these men were hitmen. At this point, police began to consider the idea that Lorenzen had been killed by drug cartel members and that they could be really long gone by now. Another piece of information that would support this theory is that Lorenzen had a connection with drug kingpin Bobby Cole. Bobby was a member of a Memphis-based drug ring that was connected to the cartels. Court documents show that two years prior to Lorenzen's murder, he had actually sold two of his cars to Bobby, but instead of signing over the titles, Lorenzen kept the vehicles in his own name. So while these vehicles were in Bobby's possession, police did a drug raid on his home and searched these two cars. Drugs were found, and of course, the cars were traced back to Lorenzen. Lorenzen alleged that he had nothing to do with anything illegal that was involving Bobby, and that he had no knowledge of what the cars were used for after he sold them to him. In other words, he wasn't going to take the fall or accept any responsibility for whatever Bobby was going down for. Bobby ended up pleading guilty to narcotics conspiracy, but Lorenzen's mother believed that Bobby had it out for her son from that moment on. And we are going to get into more details of this case after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. At our Southern True Crime meetup in Charleston this past September, I had someone ask me how I had time to watch so much reality TV. Honestly, drinking Diet Coke around the clock, terrible sleep habits, and Stamps.com. But really, Stamps.com makes my life so much easier. Every month, I send out dozens of cards to patrons of Moms and Murder, all without ever having to visit the post office. Stamps.com brings the post office to me. It saves me time and money with discounts that I can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com helps us spend more time connecting with our amazing listeners and less time hanging around the post office. 
Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's really that simple. So yes, thank you stamps.com for giving me those extra hours to watch Southern Charm. And as a very disgruntled carriage driver in Charleston recently told me, it's neither Southern nor charming. Obviously, no one this salty uses stamps.com. Don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year. Sign up for stamps.com instead. There's no risk. With our promo code Moms and Murderer, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Moms and Murder. That's stamps.com, enter Moms and Murder. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Life comes at you fast, but when you're looking for counseling, minutes can feel like hours and hours can feel like days. You want help quickly, but how will you fit it into your schedule? Our problems rarely arise during normal work hours, so why is counseling mainly available during normal business hours? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or maybe something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp has you covered and at times that are convenient for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist without ever having to leave the house. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. If you ever find you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional charge. Financial aid is also available to those who qualify. Best of all, it is truly an affordable option, and Moms and Murder listeners get 10% off your first month. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love within 24 hours. Go to betterhelp.com slash moms and use discount code moms for 10% off your first month. Again, for 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash moms and use discount code moms. And now back to the episode. So before we took the break, we were talking about the police kind of trying to follow up on some of these leads and get more answers about who killed Lorenzen Wright. Although they were really following different tips and everything, they weren't going anywhere. And they were actually unable to tie Lorenz into any drug or cartel activity. And they didn't really have any other solid leads to follow up on at this point. Lorenzen's murder remained an absolute mystery. It was clear that his death was personal and someone really wanted him dead. They just couldn't figure out who. Meanwhile, the jury of public opinion pretty much had Shara pegged as being guilty of something involving Lorenzen's death, but police had really nothing to arrest her on or anything that tied her directly to his murder, so this case sadly started going cold. 14 months after Lorenzen's death, Shara cashed in on that $1 million life insurance policy that was intended for taking care of the children. However, within 10 short months, the entire million was gone. Wow. Yeah. She had purchased a new home and paid for renovations. She bought herself luxury cars and took lavish vacations, including a $12,000 trip to New York City, which I guess I can understand how that could cost that much. Yeah. With with six kids? Oh, with six kids? If you yeah. bring six kids to New York City, yeah, I don't think you could even fly there for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> for that cost. Yeah. So, but when she was questioned about her motives, she said that it is nobody's business how she takes care of her kids and that she has spent that money the way Lorenzen would have wanted her to. 
By this time, the investigation was pretty much at a halt, and police couldn't get anyone to talk or come forward with information. But of course, the police knew that someone out there knows something about how this former NBA star ended up shot to death in the middle of nowhere. All the detectives could do was to hope and pray for a big break in this case. But the years went on, and by 2014, four years after the murder, there were still no arrests. Shara had actually moved on and gotten remarried, and she was even working on a book entitled Mr. Tell Me Anything, which was a fictional story about a philandering NBA player. And she alleged that this book was actually based on her own life with Lorenzen and that it's this tale of an abused woman who had been through so many struggles in the course of this marriage with Lorenzen. But that wasn't really all. She was also working on a sequel to this book in which the husband is murdered, which is kind of a strange thing to write a fake story about if that has actually happened to you in your life. Yeah, you'd think you'd want to avoid that or like write a an, like biography or something. You know, something right. nonfiction is what I meant to say, not biography. Yeah. But yeah, you'd want to go that direction, not like, well, this is like O.J. Simpson's If I Did It story. Like, <laughs> right. why would you even want to point the fingers at yourself? Yeah, exactly. So the release of the first book brought this attention back onto Shara. And at this point, it has been five years since Lorenzen was murdered. But the people of Memphis really still believe that Shara had something to do with it. After the book was published, Shara did this interview with this reporter named Calvin Cohens. Over the course of spending time with Shara and hearing her story, Calvin developed feelings for her. And he felt really bad for her situation. He believed that she was this grieving widow and he thought she was absolutely gorgeous. And so this relationship was born. Within six months of seeing Calvin, Shara left her new husband and moved off to Houston with Calvin to start fresh and get her life back on track. In the beginning of this relationship, Calvin said that Shara was just this amazingly spiritual woman with a great sense of humor and a love for her children. But as their relationship progressed, he started seeing another side of her. She was really greedy and cold when it came to the topic of Lorenzen's death. About a year into their relationship, Shara had gotten wind that there was $200,000 owed from Lorenzen's estate, and she could either cash this money out or it could just be placed into a trust for the kids. Calvin told Shara that he did not think she should really get involved in trying to get her hands on that money. And of course, at this point, we've talked about how she's already really gotten quite a bit from the estate and has really blown through it. And Calvin thought that it would just be best to leave this $200,000 alone and just let it go to the kids later when they need it. Right. But Shara would not let the money go. She insisted that she didn't want Lorenzen's parents to get the money, and she fought to have the check signed over to herself. For seemingly no reason at all, Shara was actually having this ongoing feud with Lorenzen's father. Herb had actually even started a legal battle against Shara so that he could have the right to oversee his grandchildren's inheritance. Um, of course, from his point of view, he's thinking, you know, my son worked so hard, made his MBA career, had his kids set up, and now the money's gone already. And I can totally see how he would be, like, trying to get a judge to yeah. say, like, yeah, you can handle, you know, what's left of it. You can, you know, deal with Anyone it. Anyone else, yeah. Give it to him. It's just saying, like, that he is going to control it so it gets spent appropriately. Right. But Shara fought back by trying to have Herb removed as executor of Lorenzen's will. So these two are in court and they're like battling and feuding, which is just so sad, um, you know, that these, you know, these kids are all like at the center of it and this is supposed to be money to take care of them. And so to see their mom and their grandfather, you know, their dad's gone, it's just really terrible all around. 
So Calvin actually really did not like that side of Shara, and they eventually split up and went their separate ways. And he moved back to Memphis while she took her kids and moved to Riverside, California, where her brother lived. Within months of being in California, Shara was married yet again, this time to music producer Tim Robinson. About a year had passed, and it seemed like this seven-year-old cold case might never be solved. But on November 9th, 2017, just days after what would have been Lorenzen's 42nd birthday, police got the tip that they had been waiting for when someone called in to report that they knew where the gun was that had been used in Lorenzen's murder. That's huge. Who would have even thought yeah. like that's the kind of tip you would get? You'd think it'd be like, oh, I saw somebody maybe one night, you know, doing something to know where the gun is. That is huge. Police searched a lake in Walnut, Mississippi, and recovered a handgun that was sent to the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation and confirmed as being one of the weapons used to kill Lorenzen. From this point, the investigation took on new steam, and less than a month later, on December 5, 2017, the first arrest in this case was made. A man named Billy Ray Turner was picked up at a convenience store in Tennessee. He was a 47-year-old landscaper that did yard work for Shara and also happened to be a deacon at her church. Billy Ray had a criminal background of his own. He had previously been convicted of assault and kidnapping about 20 years prior, and it's thought that he had a sexual relationship with Shara at the time of Lorenzen's murder. Ten days after Billy Ray was arrested, it was Shara's turn. She was taken into custody in Riverside, California, and extradited back to Tennessee, where she was arraigned for murder on January 25, 2018. Both Shara and Billy Ray pled not guilty. Of course, so many questions remain for those who had been following this case. The main question on everyone's mind was, how did the police know to search this lake to find this gun? This lake's not even in Tennessee, so the only way that they would have known to look there is if someone had finally stepped forward to tell them. As it turned out, there was a third person involved in this crime, and that person was Shara's own cousin, a convicted felon that had since committed another murder that he was already in jail for. His name was Jimmy Martin, and it was he who told police that he had plotted with Shara and Billy Ray to kill Lorenzen for his life insurance money. He alleged that he was not there when the actual murder took place, but that he helped the two of them cover up the murder, destroy evidence, and dispose of the gun in the lake. But there was more. The night Lorenzen was killed wasn't actually the first time an attempt had been made on his life. Billy Ray Turner had actually broken into Lorenzen's home in Atlanta several weeks before with the intent to murder him but he bailed on the plan and decided that they would just lure him back to Tennessee and commit the crime there. Although Shara had initially pled not guilty, she changed her plea in July of this year. Shara pled guilty to facilitation to commit first-degree murder and facilitation to commit attempted first-degree murder. She was sentenced to 30 years in prison and will be eligible for parole after serving 30% of that sentence. For his part, Billy Ray Turner has decided to stick with a not guilty plea, and he is currently awaiting trial on charges of murder and conspiracy. Shara's attorneys have stated that she will not testify against him in his trial. Wow. I know. You know what's so upsetting in this? I mean, a million things. You know, six kids lost their dad and their mom. Herb and his wife lost their son. But for a million dollars, they've gone through $55 million, and this last million you're willing to kill him over? You're yeah. splitting it probably three ways or, you know, some kind of split. You're not even going to get that much, and you've gone through $55 million, and you think this is the money that's going to change your life. Really, that's got to be what you're thinking, because why? <laughs> why would that ever? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. No, it really doesn't. 
It's a really sad story. There was a lot it of is. sad things that happened in the story. You know, it's just as his the story of his life is really fascinating and just the way he grew up and his relationship with his dad and I mean, all of it. It's just one of those. It really was a, a heartbreaking story for me to research. I mean, they all really are. But this one, I didn't really know. I'm not a basketball fan. As I've said before, I don't watch sports. I don't watch anything. It's always interesting whenever you kind of dig into kind of fi- just finding out where people came from and everything. Yeah. And I just I, I love the story of Lorenzen's life and his upbringing. And it's very tragic that his life was cut short over nothing. I mean, that's Everybody got caught and everyone loses. There's just nothing to be gained there whatsoever. So, Mandy, are you ready to switch gears? Is there a better way to say that? There's got to be. Yes. Yes, there is a better way to say that, Melissa. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> but um, but we'll have to work on that next time. So, yeah, I'm ready to do last thing before we go. And, of course, because it's just very, like, short time to Thanksgiving. I don't know what I'm trying I to really say. I really like stumbling over my words right I now. I loved how you it's said that. It's not coming out. Yeah. Yeah. We are just a short time away from Thanksgiving. That still is not how I want to say it, but no, I love it. I love it. So yeah. <laughs> so we're going to do a Thanksgiving themed last thing before we go. So Melissa, what are we doing? We are going to play like a this or that thing. So I'm going to, we're going to say like, do we like this thing or that thing better? And then we'll see what our answers are. And We'll see who's wrong. Fight about it. Yeah, we'll see who's wrong. <laughs> I think I saw you have six of them. I have five. So why don't you start off? Okay, fine. So turkey or ham? How is the turkey made? There's definitely a preface for that. Oh, well, I make turkey in the smoker and it's so delicious. I can't do like a just dried out mm-hmm. oven roasted turkey. No. Yeah, my husband does the same thing. But the problem is he's got one of those injector things that like, you know, that takes the temperature digitally, but he checks it all day long. I'm like, it freaking goes to your phone and tells you the temperature and he gives me updates all day long so he makes one thing the whole day and I make 37 things and he literally has a temperature thing it makes me gives me rage just thinking about it um I'm not (laughs) answering the question um I love ham I'm always probably gonna go with ham I just love ham sweet ham Mm, honey baked ham best thing in the entire world what about you I'm gonna go with ham I'm really just not I don't really care much for turkey like in general, I like turkey on sandwiches, but I don't like to eat like an actual. Yeah. I mean, I know that's actual turkey, but you know what I mean? I don't like to really, I don't really get into turkey that much. So I go, I just go for ham because I think ham is delicious. Yeah. It, and it feels like almost forced on Thanksgiving. Like you, you have to have turkey, but no one's really that excited. Some people are. There's got to be turkey like purist who just love it, but I could take it or leave it. Okay, Mandy, I already think I know the answer on this one from you, but cranberry sauce with or without the berries. This includes canned cranberry sauce. And there is a correct answer. But go ahead and ruin this one for me. I know what you like, but I am so not a fan of canned cranberry sauce. The only kind I'll eat is the kind I make at home on my stovetop. And yes, it involves actual real pieces of fruit, Melissa. Okay, here's the thing. That sounded a little (laughs) hoity-toity there. But um, (laughs) I love the canned stuff. If it doesn't plop, I don't I don't want it on my my plate. But you know, it's good cranberry sauce and turkey, like eating that together, like kind of mixing it. Oh, it's so good. My brother-in-law brings like a whole jar of applesauce to Thanksgiving to eat with his turkey. Like it's, it's a whole thing with him. But then I started, I saw him doing that. So I started eating my cranberry sauce with my turkey. That's really good and only canned. I appreciate what you're trying to do there, but no, thank you. 
whole berries they don't like nobody like goes around like eating a cranberry have you ever seen somebody just eat a cranberry oh i guess dried cranberry well, no they're kind of well cranberries are kind of gross like by themselves and they're bitter they're not they're really not even sweet so yeah so i'm not i'm gonna go with really processed plopping <laughs> well, i add sugar obviously whatever you just eat your canned cranberry and let's move on <laughs> so um my, my next one is about pie pumpkin or pecan and don't even at me if you think i'm saying pecan wrong because because it's just how pecan, i say it and that's what everyone knows that <laughs> um Okay, so if those are my two options, I'm going to say pecan. I'm not a big fan of pumpkin. Uh, my old neighbor, RIP, she used to make this pan, uh, pumpkin cheesecake thing, and it was the most amazing thing in the entire world. But just like straight up pecan and pumpkin, I'm going to go pecan every time. What about you? I'm going to go pumpkin. I don't really like pumpkin anything, but I do like pumpkin pie with whipped cream. And I just don't want like a nut pie, like pe pecan pie. I just don't like that. Ew, it's just too much nuts. <laughs> for I feel a like you're saying that pie. way too many times for this. It's not that kind of a show, Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> but for a dessert, like, ew, who just wants to eat like... It doesn't even sound good They're to me. They're like candied. The concept of eating a well, because you're saying it wrong. That's half the reason it doesn't sound good to you. <laughs> if you called it a pecan, that sounds much better. <laughs> oh, oh boy, no good. So, Mandy, I don't even know if you're familiar with this one. Do you know what Watergate salad is? Wait, is it like have apples and marshmallows or something? I think that's ambrosia salad. So it's similar-ish. Uh, Watergate salad has <laughs> this is the worst combination: pistachio pudding, pineapple. Marshmallow fluff, and my question no, 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 was, no. do you want <laughs> coconut in yours or not? But I guess you don't want any of it. I love it <laughs> so much. It's so good. Like, that's a big thing. My sister and I, like, who's going to make Watergate salad? Like, that's just a part of our Thanksgiving, and it makes no sense, and I don't think anyone else eats it. I don't know if my mom just made it up. I don't know where this came from. <laughs> <laughs> no, I always see that. Like, um, and I, I, like, my grandmother has brought things like that, where it's just, like, marshmallows and cut up pieces of fruit. That's ambrosia like, salad. It's garbage. It is garbage. I love your grandmother, but it's garbage. I know. She's really sweet, but she's never been known for great <laughs> cooking. <laughs> oh my god. That's okay. She's good at other things. Like, yeah, like everything else. There you go. You can't have everything. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. So what's your next one? Okay. Okay. So I want to know if you want mashed potatoes and gravy or if you are down to eat some au gratin potatoes. Can I be honest with you? Sure. First of all, I hate gravy. But second of all, what is au gratin? I just don't even choose it because I don't understand how it's cooked. I don't understand if there's been extra things added to it. I needed a definition. I mean, it's like cheese. It's it's, why am I not eating listen, that? It's literally it's potatoes that are baked. They're just sliced super thin and they're baked with like a cheese sauce. Oh my gosh, you have to. You have I'm to. I'm such an idiot and I've missed out on so much of my life if that's exactly what it is. <laughs> I thought there was like can of like mushroom soup in it or something. I cannot no. get on board with mm -hmm. anything with that. Okay, I'm gonna try au gratin. Au gratin, is that how you say it? <laughs> yeah. I need like an English. Yeah, class. look at you. Yeah, you should. I I don't like mashed potatoes, so I'm going for the cheese potatoes. You don't like them? Like, just as a person? No. <laughs> oh, I love it. If you can put sour cream and um, cheese and I like – there's barely any potato by the time I get done with making, like, mashed potatoes. There's so <laughs> many other things I put in it. Milk. I love – oh, I love a good mashed potato. But I'm going to try au gratin or I'll ask my sister. Hey, sister, if you're listening, au gratin. That's what you're bringing this year. Yeah. <laughs> 
So Mandy, my next one is casseroles, yay or nay? Are you a casserole person? I am. I love casseroles. Really? But like, why? I love all <laughs> kinds of casseroles. <laughs> because, well, you know, I I love vegetable casseroles because that first of all, I love worse. vegetables and you know that about me. So like something I love, green beans mixed with more things I love, like creamy <gasps> soup and oh. <laughs> crunchy topping. <laughs> It's just so delicious. I freaking love green bean casserole. I put oh. mushrooms in mine. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Do you like the plop whenever the the mushroom soup comes out of that? Because that is super disgusting. <laughs> I, oh, but you'll eat cranberry sauce. Sure. Which is like the same thing. And I need the ridges. I need to see the ridges on my cranberry sauce. That's a whole thing. I have cranberry sauce in my Ugh. fridge right now. I just like eat it throughout the year. I love it so much. <laughs> Well, I need to see the ridges on my cream and mushroom soup, but oh. I don't know what it is. <laughs> that really made my stomach hurt. Um, I think like uh, I'm a big sweet potato casserole for, uh, person, but that's it. I don't want vegetables. Mm-mm. No green bean. Only Vicky <laughs> from Real Housewives of OC likes a likes a casserole. Oh. And you, I love all the casseroles: like corn casserole, squash <gasps> casserole. What? That isn't a thing. Nobody does that. <laughs> that's there's no way that's a thing. It is. Oh, somebody, it really is. somebody needs I to help so me. Much. I, I don't. I disagree. <laughs> I veto this. <laughs> I think you're next. Oh, it is me. Okay. So here's my last one. So are you going for when it comes to carbs? Are you just like an all carbs all the time kind of gal? Or do you pick like mac and cheese or stuffing, for example? Okay. First of all, you know this about me. I hate mac and cheese. <laughs> And also I hate stuffing. The more upsetting thing about stuffing to me is when people are like, I stuffed it up this turkey that I already don't like, but, and now we're all going to eat it? What? Why is that supposed to be appealing? Do people do that? I don't think that's a thing. Well, I feel like that's like a old, old time way of doing it. I think now like the actually, like the whoever tells you things, the <laughs> FDA who tells you things about, about food, whatever agency it is that like tells you what to eat and not to do with turkey. They said, don't stuff your turkey and cook it. Cause I guess it's like a food born illness. Why did we have risk. to tell people that? Like, shouldn't the <laughs> idea that you're stuffing food up a turkey's bahooty is like, <laughs> disgusting what else do we eat out of things but nothing i'm not eating anything no that's too much i know no i like stuffing but i have to be in the mood for it and so i have before i have once before made stuffing homemade and it turned out amazing but it was like it took forever and i think stovetop is just as good my husband loves it and it takes five minutes so i am a stovetop all the way i don't and then i add i like doctor it up and add stuff to i add like celery and onion and stuff celery it's just easy Come on. I just add celery and onion to everything, but it's okay. Celery, I just think, is like a scoop for ranch dressing. That's the only thing I use celery for. My grandmother had like this great recipe for dressing, and I always feel like the worst person because my mom makes it, and I like eat a little because it was my grandma's, but I hate it so much, and I feel guilty even saying that, and she's probably in heaven like really pissed at me right now, but it's not good. I just don't think it's good. It. I don't get it. It's like dry. I don't know. There's... I can waste my carbs on other things. There's a lot more things I can eat. And plus, I don't waste my carbs. I eat them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Mandy, I think we are good here. I think we that went on for a while. But you guys won't hear from us next week. So maybe you needed this in your life. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you've already turned this off. Maybe. I can see the yeah. stats. <laughs> 
So that's it for this week, guys. We hope everybody has a great couple of weeks ahead and have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your families and friends and eat lots of good food. Maybe try something new like all gratin potatoes. I really will. And we will be back on December the 3rd, Tuesday, December 3rd. All right, guys. Have a great week. We will see you in two weeks. Same time, same place. New story. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.